Hello, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. And uh, we have listeners on all four corners of the globe. Uh, my name is Kevin Garber, and it's the It's a Monkey podcast, episode number 34. And with me is James. No, actually, it's not James. It's um, We have a very special guest. Um, introduce yourself, young lady. My name is Chelsea, and uh, I also work alongside James and Kevin for Manage Flitter. So Chelsea is standing in for James, who is somewhere on the west coast of Canada. I'm not exactly sure where. Um, I think in Banff or... Last time I saw him on Facebook, he was at Disney World. Ah, okay. Yeah. He, uh, he was on one of the log rides. Clearly, I'm not his Facebook friend on Facebook. <laughs> we'll talk about that another time. No, so I, I, have a, I have a policy. I, I, I don't have any work co- uh, colleagues, which uh, I like it that way. Mm. And then yeah, you guys can be free to be debaucherous. Anyway, enough of that. Episode 34 of the podcast. We have a terrific podcast lined up for you today. We'll be talking with Jodie Fox from Shoes of Prey. And that is uh, right up your alley, Chelsea. Oh, I don't know about right up my alley um, in a sense. I'm not as fashion-minded as the typical 23-year-old. Um, I think I'm probably more a little bit tech or business savvy as opposed to um, obsessed about fashion. But she is um, quite an interesting and intelligent woman, that's for sure. Well, we'll be talking to Jodie um, about Shoes of Prey, which is a, a fantastically successful um, website where you can customize your own shoes. And um, I wasn't stereotyping you. I was more just, <laughs> I have noticed you in high heels sometimes. So, you know. <laughs> I think you've mostly noticed the height difference as opposed to the uh, type of heel that I'm wearing. Ex- exactly. But we'll be talking to Jodie Fox, who's a, a very smart um, entrepreneur. And she was in the studio and uh, we've been trying to get studio guests, which is great. But as always, we're starting out with the, um, the tech news of the week. Just before we get into the tech news of the week, last week, episode number 33, we did a cryptocurrency Bitcoin special, which was really fantastic. And we just try to pull apart all the issues relating to Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. So if you haven't checked out episode 33, um, go to the itsamonkey.com website and listen to the cryptocurrency special. We even chat to the founder of Dogecoin and Dogecoin has just been going nuts. It's just getting all this Mm -hmm. press. And one of the creators... Um, Jackson Palmer is um, in Sydney and he works down the road from us and we dragged him into the studio and we spoke to Jackson Palmer, the founder of Do- one of the founders of Dogecoin, about uh, cryptocurrency and Dogecoin and um, it's, a, it's a fantastically interesting phenomenon. So uh, check out that episode. Um, news of the week. Well, of course, how can we ignore that uh, earnings for Twitter and earnings for Facebook have come out over the last sort of 10 days? Let's talk about Facebook first. Facebook's... Um, quality results came out and every metric was up 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 which was just really quite remarkable um, and for the first time the bulk of their revenue so 53 percent of the revenue has uh, is now coming from mobile ads as opposed to um, desktop ads which is a significant shift so essentially facebook and twitter are now essentially mobile advertising companies from a business model perspective right I haven't actually noticed um, a huge amount of ads targeting my, myself when I'm on my my Facebook application. I mean, I have been noticing there's a new uh, movie, uh, personalized movie app where you can essentially uh, ask Facebook to create your own movie. Have you tried that yet? 
I think that um, so I think that was tied in with the Facebook's tenth birthday, birthday. Yeah, yeah, which was this week, which is a um, also a newsworthy item, which was yeah, it was their their tenth birthday, and they and they auto created this this um, this highlight package for you, mm. which is a sort of cute feature, and everyone's been sharing that. Uh, mine was particularly boring. I watched mine, I didn't <laughs> share it. I was like, that is just so boring. <laughs> mine, mine was really depressing as well. <laughs> I had a photo of um, I managed to track down someone who stole my iPhone and I took a screenshot of the um, the location where it was found and I had all these other sort of interesting uh, posts from uh, back in 2009 and I thought, oh, I don't want that. I'd rather forget about it. Yeah. And, um, and not many people know this or some people don't know this. You can actually delete Facebook content going back forever. Um, one of my friends was, uh, you know, she said, oh, I'd li- like to delete some statuses around, you know, one of my ex-boyfriends when I was going out with them, but, you know, I can't delete them. I said, yes, you can. You can go into your timeline, you can delete anything. Is that like a setting or? If you just go into the timeline and you click on the year mm. and then you just go back to your old content, you can delete anything. So um, I, I wish Facebook had a sort of a, a, a back to factory default <laughs> settings like the phone <laughs> does and just wipe all that gunk out you know and that's where snapchat is so interesting because you don't have to worry about that with snapchat and i think there's definitely going to be a push to those type of services of of you know ephemeral or temporary nature where which is more like real life if if i bump into you in the corridor and say you know whatever i had a i had a lousy weekend because my neighbor's dog was barking i don't have to worry that it's archived for Mm. the next twenty thousand years so Mm. so you know actually evan williams from twitter he he made an interesting point in one of his presentations where he said you know all the most successful apps mimic very much what happens in real life in in some metaphorical way which was a very interesting point we won't drill down into that whole issue but you know and that's why snapchat has been you know fantastically successful particularly mm. amongst the young people because they 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 don't you know they don't they understand this stuff and they don't want things to be archived forever absolutely um it's going to be interesting to see how snapchat monetizes i mean i've heard a lot of criticism along among my friends as they seem to think that it's valued at such a a high figure but they're not actually making any money so it would be interesting to see how they um they turn that into revenue in some be really interesting i mean maybe they can start selling um my guess would be i mean if i was this i always like to sometimes when i'm having a shower i play this little game with myself this this is my life chelsea you know you're getting an insight (laughs) into my life i play this little game what would i do is this going to be censored (laughs) (laughs) we'll edit this out um I say to myself, what would I would do if I was CEO of X company? Yeah. You know, and um, my favorite are Twitter, you know, the, the big company. What would I do if I was CEO of Twitter or Facebook? But I also think to myself of Snapchat as well. Uh, what I would try experiment with is um, stickers and themes and filters. and. It would almost be interesting to have a preview of a Snapchat and you would pay money to see the full Snapchat. For instance, I often have videos where... You know, it'd be 20, I'm not sure how long the maximum Snapchat is, but it could be maybe a couple of seconds. And to unlock that that video, you'd have to pay 20 cents or something. I don't know. Um, I don't know if how well that would work because then you're putting the onus on the receiver to pay. Mm. But maybe you could do like a reverse charge call or something. Yeah. So for... Um, but you know in Asia the sticker thing is going nuts there's messaging services that are massive and they are making zillions is on that right? and very um, very thematic stickers so say for instance it's the Super Bowl 
Right. So they publish a whole heap of stickers and themes relating to the Super Bowl and then you can buy it for a buck and then you can send a photo of yourself perhaps with the background of the stadium or whatever it is. Right. You I, know? I feel like that maybe it's popular purely because of the culture there. Um, I mean, even travelling to Japan, I find it's th- these sort of cartoony cultural yeah. stickers are everywhere. I'm not sure if that's going to um, be as popular in the Western the Western countries. I think it's a it's a fair point that there is a, a cultural um, a cultural element to it, but um, y- you know it's just one angle that Snapchat could look at, particularly it's because its demographic is so young, mm. um, and they don't have a timeline, so it's it's a lot harder to monetize from an ad perspective. But um, le- let's have a think. And if you're listening to this podcast, how do you think um, Snapchat can monetize itself? Leave a comment at. Uh, it's a monkey.com. We'd love to have a debate. And if you were CEO of Snapchat, hey, if I was CEO of Snapchat and I got a $3 million, $3 billion acquisition offer, I'd be like, yep, oh, let's do it. you do. <laughs> <laughs> we, we could have fun. Anyway, so that so Facebook's results were up, 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 and their share price is, is reaching new highs in, in the 60s. And, um, and it's just, you know, they, they had their 10th birthday and um, – you know they're doing fantastically well. Their their monthly active users are up. Their monthly mobile users are up. Their their revenues up. Everything is up on Facebook. So um, Mark Zuckerberg is is definitely doing a good job um, on that side of things. And the Twitter numbers came out as well, which were highly anticipated because they were the first um, earnings figures that came out since Twitter listed. And um, What's interesting is that that the revenues um, were actually higher than they predicted. So Twitter revenues for the quarter were 242 million um, for the quarter, and um, the same quarter last year. So the the same period last year was was 116 um, percent lower. So so quarter on quarter, um, the revenues gone nuts. But the the worrying thing for Twitter is that it's only added 9 million users in three months. Now, to most businesses and even to most online services, um, 9 million users is a lot. But for um, these fast-moving moving consumer internet companies, 9 million users represents a very small growth. And particularly since Twitter's um, numbers are a lot less than Facebook, it's still got a, lo- a long way to go. Uh, the, Twitter, the Twitter's numbers and Facebook's numbers in comparison? The absolute numbers, yeah. you're saying, what they are? Or the active, the, the average active numbers. Yeah, I've got them amongst my, um, I've got the, amongst my collateral here. Maybe you can, you can quickly um, just hit up the, the Google machine mm. there, might be, might be good. Just, just Google the numbers there. While, while you're bringing that up, I'll just um, recite an interesting figure as well that um, Twitter stock is currently trading at 32 times its um, sales, which is very, very expensive. So Twitter is still very expensive compared to the revenue that it's um, bringing in. And um, Facebook's 14 times its sales and LinkedIn is 12 times its sales. So you can see how LinkedIn is the the most cost-effective on a pure sort of P-E ratio and f- and Facebook is a bit more expensive, and Twitter is is really expensive. Of course, Twitter's share price uh, came down significantly. Um, I think by about ten percent since um, uh, since these figures have come out. So I think Twitter's monthly users, if I remember correctly, are about fifty million monthly active users. Monthly mo- mobile m- monthly active users reached one hundred and eighty four million in the fourth quarter of two thousand and thirteen, whereas Twitter Fa- or Facebook that's Twitter. Yeah. Whereas Facebook's boasted one point two 
1.3 billion monthly mobile active monthly mobile. active users worldwide oh, that, is, that includes desktop and mobile correct so i need to find the the figure for both um desktop and mobile for twitter so yeah so look the numbers and, and that's why you can see that twitter's growth numbers are very important because to catch up to the facebook monster they've got a long way to go mm. and a lot of people are arguing and saying look twitter uh, twitter's always been a niche service mm. it may continue to be a niche service and they're on track to turn over more than a billion a year which in the scheme of things is still a significant business mm. but facebook's i mean facebook's turning over um you know on track to turn over you know, they turned over two billion just for the quarter. I'm pretty correct in saying. I wonder what their Christmas parties are like. Are they? Yeah. <laughs> um, pretty good. <laughs> I don't know. I've never, I've never got invited. You know, <laughs> apparently my status updates are too boring. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. Um, so that's. Um, Twitter numbers, Facebook numbers, uh, LinkedIn numbers also came out. But uh, I mean, I'm on record saying it's not one of my favorite social media networks. Well, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, LinkedIn sort of seems to be more associated with your professional life. Twitter, I find, especially amongst my peers, it's not something that is really taken off in Australia, just amongst if I'm sort of judging primarily upon my peers, um, whereas Facebook, my mother uses it. So... It'll be interesting. Will she add me as a friend? She probably would, actually. <laughs> she'll she'll stalk you and tell you know what she thinks is right or wrong, though. Uh, <laughs> Gotta love mothers, huh? <laughs> um, but no, it'll be interesting to see what you know Twitter does, especially now that they're based in Australia, whether they'll target the users or target the businesses to target the users. Look, they're very much focused on TV and sports as to you know areas that where they can add a lot of value. Um, significantly. Um, Twitter disclosed that the number of timeline views um, dropped from 148 billion, sorry, 248 billion from 159 billion, which means essentially the number of times people click on that home button and and get that timeline has dropped 10 billion, which is significant because that's where all the ad impressions Mm. come from. So look, it's interesting time for Twitter. I, I don't think it's panic stations. I mean, Facebook went through a bit of this wobbly phase of consolidation. They're very smart people. It's an awesome platform, but um, exciting, exciting times ahead. Um, following on the news, we've got a, a story about um, um, a, a Kickstarter um, campaign for an interesting uh, iPhone charger. Yeah, look, I've been um, sort of been reviewing after listening to Jody and and learning about her business and fusing sort of technology and fashion together. And I'm finding a lot lately that, you know, these small startups are being developed by women uh, primarily because fashion is such a passionate, uh, I guess, hobby, maybe. It's a lot of emotion. It's sort of like music. You it know? is a People little bit. Um, maybe men in sport is sort of parallel to women in fashion. Um, so this woman, uh, what was her? Gender stereotype alert. <laughs> <laughs> Loni Edwards, um, she said she came up with this idea because she was at Coachella and I can absolutely relate to her experience with her iPhone running out of battery. In fact, I find that I have to charge my iPhone every day. If I don't charge it before I go home from work, I won't be able to contact um, my friends or my boyfriend because I'll constantly be out of um, iPhone battery. Uh, so essentially she came up with this idea to 
to kind of combine these two necessities, which would be A, a wallet, and B, uh, an iPhone battery. You mean a bag? Uh, a wallet bag. I mean, you, she's chosen to not just uh, pigeonhole it to a wallet. She's also designed bags, um, purses, wallets, um, you know, all, all sorts of different um, uh, types of, of fashion items that you could use. So it's not just one particular wallet. Um, and essentially what it does is it can charge your iPhone. It can charge any kind of sort of um, a Kindle device, an iPhone iPad. Um. So explain to me how to work. So let's take the bag example. It's mm-hmm. a bag and you dump your iPhone in the bag. And you plug it into the cord, which is like Plug what? The bag into the cord? The No, the cord is currently... So there's a battery within the bag. Right. And that battery has a cord which links to your device. S- oh, okay. Oh, okay. So it doesn't wirelessly charge it. No, it doesn't wirelessly charge that it. Because that Intel bowl was sort of wirelessly charges ha- yeah, your phone. However, the way that you charge the battery is through wireless. wireless. So you essentially just put Char- the... The way you charge the battery in the bag. bag. Yeah, so right. you just place the, the purse or the bag onto a right. wireless charger and then it, it charges up before you uh, leave the house. Right. Uh, so, you, so you have the bag charged and then whenever you need to charge your phone, you just put your phone in the bag and you plug it in, mm. in your bag. And, um, these ha- and how many charges... Uh, it can go for 24 hours, uh, I believe. So, Sorry, no, it can go for one full battery life and a little bit. So that's if it's not, completely that's not a lot dead. Though. Well, I mean, if you're, I guess it's a solution if you've completely run out it's of... It's like having a second battery in a way. Absolutely, yeah. And I guess yeah. it's um, something that you don't have to consciously... Use. You know, you do get the, the chunky batteries that you can... Plug in. Plug in to the bottom of your, your phone, but sometimes that's not very fashionable, so... Uh, so this Kickstarter this. campaign, how many, uh, how much has it raised so far? Uh, she absolutely, she reached target. Um, I think she was asking for 90,000. Is that all? Yeah, and then, um, she exceeded that target. Have you ever raised anything on Kickstarter? No, I haven't. I haven't um, really felt the need to, but I have recently seen in the news, have you seen the man with his wife? The man with his wife. And sorry, it's <laughs> <laughs> a bit general. I thought that you may have seen it on Facebook. It's sort of a trending topic right now. And um, this man had a tragic uh, incident where his wife was carrying his baby and she had a stroke. And he put on Kickstarter or one of these sort of crowdsourcing websites to keep his wife alive while his baby continues to grow so that they can. So he was raising money, money. for, for health care. Yeah. And, um, was this in Australia or America? No, it was in the States. Yeah, it's pretty sad. But mm. um, yeah, these, the crowdsourcing is really good for things like that. Absolutely. Just, just uh, raising awareness. It's a fascinating phenomenon. I've thought, you know, we've, we have a lot of requests for people that want to uh, have us develop a, a iPhone or Android app for Manage Flitter. And, mm. you know, of course, we're just so busy with the core features and we're a bootstrap company so we don't just have you know we can't just we don't have a mobile team that we can just say hey guys just go and build this and maintain Mm. this so we've held off on that but um we've discussed james and i've discussed you know maybe crowdfunding and just saying right if you guys are really passionate about an android app let's let's raise one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, get two developers and um you know their sole job um but so if any of you are managed flitter listeners and i know a lot of you listen to this podcast while listening to um sorry while using managed flitter and uh, you think that's a great idea tweet us at managed flitter or tweet us at uh, monkey podcast or email us or snapchat us or pinterest us or instagram us or no, you know you know, know how to get a hold of us i've got another idea 
What's that? They build the app and if they if they, we like it, we offer them a free managed footer one-year contract. Yes, look, <laughs> if you want to build the app for us, but, uh, you know, we, we, we don't want you to also spend your your hard, hard-earned time, but... Um, yeah, we, we're always open to initiatives here at Manage Flutter. Anyway, um, so that's the news. Well, that, that bag sounds... Are you going to buy one? Actually, I, w- I would consider it. It has been many a time where I've been lost at a festival um, with 150,000 people surrounded by me and I can't find anyone. So what did you think we did in my days, in the prehistoric times when we were at concerts and, you know, mobile phones didn't exist? Mm, it's a good question, actually. You probably had like a cooey. <laughs> no, you just had to get organized. You just had to be organized. No, I remember when we when I went with my family to like you know equivalent of the Easter show in South Africa. The first thing you do is you arrive there and you go, okay, this is my meeting spot. Yeah, if you get lost, which will happen, yeah, come back here. And then you're as a little kid, and eventually you can't find your parents, and you wander back to the little you know ice cream stand or hot dog stand, and so you just got to get organized, you know. Mm. Um, but we've all become very spoilt with being, you know, spontaneous. And but when I go to um, festivals now, I, I just plan it. Like I know, I arrive with a full battery, and I, I, um, I, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I, I sort of plan, you know, using my photos and videos and all because that, that drains the battery, and yeah, I keep absolutely. an eye on it through the days. And I sort of time it just so I run out of battery at the end of the festival. Sometimes it's even uh, wise to turn the complete phone off. Well, what I do is yeah, I often leave it in airplane mode, and mm. then I'll just switch it back on to upload the photo and switch it back off. Because what happens is is the weaker the mobile signal, sort of the more it drains your battery right. as well. So that definitely conserves. And I'm also on Android, which I think is a little bit better. Than oh, iPhone <laughs> on, the, on the battery side of things, but it's still it's still choose a way. Look, if you use the screen and you're taking photos and videos, it's still. What I find funny is I've got the same friends that are always running low on battery the whole time. That are just such phone users. The, the same few that are always like I'm always running out of battery. My well, battery's nearly dead. It's interesting you say that because I only discovered recently that you can actually turn apps off. So if someone said to me, Charles, you've got all your apps running. And I said, well, how do I turn them off? So apparently you double tap your iPhone right. button and then you just swipe them off. So I've been running around for about 12 months with all my apps running with no idea why my, my iPhone battery was running out. It's definitely one part of the um, technology sort of ecosystem that I'm sure many companies are working very hard at getting right because if they get it right, there'll be a lot of money to be made. And mm. there's talk of all sorts of new revolutionary energy type sources that where, for instance, you'll only have to charge your battery once a month, once a year. You know, there's 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 no reason why we, sh- we should have to charge it the whole time. Surely, surely they'd be able to invent some sort of extreme lithium battery which lasts for days on end well they're talking about even just yeah totally different type of you know totally different type of energy sources hydrogen cells and um, uh, you know i mean i don't know what i'm talking about so i'm probably listening to this podcast in five years time and go ha (laughs) yeah look (laughs) i think one day your kids will listen to this podcast and they'll go ha ha you had to charge your phone every day it will seem sort of archaic you know, but that's that's what we love about our industry. It moves so fast and um, it's so exciting, and that's it's exhausting. But um, uh, I, I love this industry. Anyway, you're listening to Kevin Garber and Chelsea Plowright. I'm <laughs> um, not used to saying your name on the. You were going to say Peter, weren't you, <laughs> Chelsea Peter? Um, Chelsea standing in for James Peter. Um, Chelsea is a um, wow. 
We, we don't even have a proper job title for no, you, do we're you? often stumped when it comes to this uh, statement. You're just sort of everything. Thing. Yeah, sort of community manager, customer support, account manager, graphic designer, podcast editor. you just... The general was, and you're the token extrovert at the company because totally. we all we all sort of geeks. Let's face it, you're probably the <laughs> least geeky and the most extrovert. So you yeah. sort of, you know, if it wasn't for Chelsea, we'd all just be staring at our screens. But Chelsea's like, come on, guys, let's, let's go kick a football around. Yeah. So um, so Chelsea is standing in for James, and you're doing a fantastic job. Is this your first time on air, so to speak? I believe so. Yes. Wow. Well, you're doing a fantastic job. Let's uh, take a short break and we will get to the interview with Jodie Fox, who is the co-founder of Shoes of Prey, that terrific Australian success story. We spoke to her early on the week, so stay with us. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by Manage Flitter. With Manage Flitter, you can easily find out who isn't following you back, find new people to follow, track keywords on Twitter, and schedule tweets for the most appropriate times. Tweet code MONKEY2 at ManageFlitter to receive a one-month free budgie account. You're back with the It's a Monkey podcast. Um, now, we don't often talk about fashion and fashion tech, yet um, I see through all my, my female friends and my female colleagues that um, you know, tech has, has changed uh, fashion a lot and um, there's been one Australian company which has been on my radar for quite a while called Shoes of Prey which a lot of my friends actually purchase their shoes um, through and um, they happen to be based just down the road um, we're in the Sydney CBD and they happen to be based down the road in uh, Surrey Hills and I have managed to drag the co-founder, one of the co-founders, um, away from the office, which is no doubt uh, busy for a, a very, very fast-growing e-commerce company. And I'm happy to say I've got um, Jody Fox, the co-founder of Shoes of Prey, um, right in the office with us uh, for the It's a Monkey podcast. Thanks for joining us. Not at all. Thanks for having me. Um, tell us quickly, Shoes of Prey, it's been around for a couple of years now, what, three, four years? Four years now. Four years. And... Um, I mean, you didn't specifically come from a tech background? No, I didn't. Um, my co-founders more so. So I actually started out, well, actually all three of us started out as being lawyers by trade. Uh, and one of the co-founders had done an IT degree as well. Ultimately, he went on to Google to become a software engineer with Google. And then my other co-founder went to Google, but in advertising sales. I stayed more in the creative side of things, having gone from law as a banking and finance lawyer, which was um, not something I really had my heart in, <laughs> but, um, you know, sort of was important for me to do for personal reasons. And I went on to advertising, learning about building brands and always had a very creative side and a keen interest in fashion. And that was something that I developed personally before applying it into the business. Now, how did you get two males? I mean, one a software engineer and a lawyer passionate about fashion. Well, it was actually more about online retail. So uh -huh. about the time that we became interested in, you know, doing... Well, actually, no, that's, that's not true. We were always interested in doing something online and we had plenty of um, embarrassing tech experiments that uh, preceded Shoes of Prey. 
And it was about the time that the boys were both at Google that they were very excited about online retail. And there was such an opportunity in Australia four years ago, and it was just just becoming something that we would do as consumers. We would buy online. Um, And they were very excited about that opportunity and they were looking for an idea that was novel, something that could be, would have social currency and it was exciting to work on and tell people about and for those people to then share with their friends. And around that same time, or for years before actually, I'd been designing my own shoes. The reason I did that is because I always liked shoes, but I could never find exactly what I wanted. Either the heel height was wrong, I didn't quite like the color, the decoration was a bit naff. And so when I was traveling, in the same way that you find somebody that will tailor a suit for you, I found somebody I could commission shoe designs with. So I was doing this and I wasn't thinking about it as a business. I was just enjoying doing it and commissioning shoes for my girlfriends as well. And so it was with the combination of these sort of ideas and passions that Shoes of Prey came together. And um, now here you are. I mean, is it public um, what numbers you guys turn over, number of shoes or anything? No, unfortunately, the numbers aren't public, but I will absolutely commend you for asking. (laughs) Doing a good job. Well, you you know, as an entrepreneur and a a fellow, you know, founder and co-founder that you're always trying to. Um, you know, you're always interested in the numbers around other businesses. Of course, of course. And look, I must say I am as well. So whenever I'm reading articles, I'm always trying to add up the numbers to understand, you know, what the strategy is sitting behind that model and how profitable or not profitable they are. So it's always interesting to know about the numbers. In terms of growth, though, what I can share with you is we started out as the three of us on a couch uh, four Uh years ago. Uh, We're now about uh, 45 staff globally. We have offices in Sydney. This is our headquarters um, in Japan, in China as well. And um, we grew 300% in the last 12 months. Uh, We're still seeing very strong growth. And I think that um, even though look, there has been some tough times in retail. I think there are also some wonderful opportunity as well if there's um, an ability to innovate. And I think that that can be challenging for bigger companies because there's so much legacy in their business models and in the size of their businesses as well. And while I do hope to be one of those big businesses (laughs) one day in the future, um, you know, I always hope that we keep some level of agility about us. Um, physical world businesses always scare me. I mean, mm. you, you, you guys deal in product, uh, you know, with managed flitter and, and other products are just um, service-based products. Uh, what, what unique challenges have you guys faced in, in dealing with physical products that, you know, require logistics and warehousing and returns and all those exciting mm. bits and pieces? Yeah, it is really interesting. And I must say, um, I don't think if any of us had proper knowledge about what it took to make a shoe (laughs) that we would have come up with this idea and started this business and I think there's a certain amount of naivete and um, optimism that an entrepreneur needs to execute something that is so disruptive because there's a reason it hasn't been done before. Uh, For us uh, the unique challenges that we have is that we're as you say not just a service business so we do have a service aspect to our business and the service is providing you with that chance to design your shoe. But then we also have the manufacturing side of things to manage. And then we also have the logistics in terms of getting the product out. So it's a real marriage of operations, technology, um, and of course the creative in terms of the fashion that come together in our business, which I think is quite unique for a tech startup. What I'd really like is, I'm a guy that I like wearing nice things, but I hate the process of Mm. buying and I never know what to buy. I'd love to be able to upload a couple of photos of myself and just, 
just get some recommendations of what to wear or uh, not even recommendations i just just send the it bloody things up. yeah <laughs> you know it's just fashion for me is just so such a confusing abstract amorphous i i sort of sometimes buy something and i think either i'm really fashionable or mm. this is really wrong and i have no idea which one mm. you know and it's a i mean yeah fashion is about comfort and 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 what you're comfortable in as well but there is also an element of 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 wanting to be um noticed not for the wrong reasons and mm. i think i think men um especially my generation find that a little bit tricky sometimes yeah so i think that i did i uh, actually wrote a blog post on our business blog where we tell far too many of our secrets called 22michaels.com and i wrote about the difference between the way that men shop and the way that women shop and what they're willing to prioritize and invest over you know what they're not and certainly the search uh that journey of the search was something that men uh were not so interested in uh and in fact found to be a hindrance to their shopping experience whereas for women the search and that journey is a part of the experience of shopping and the satisfaction they'll get out of the end product so shoes of prey might not be the right um the right uh, might not be the right for men in fact and i think that our, you know our target audience is women uh, also for the value of the market as well so in terms of women they'll buy an average of 13 pairs of shoes per year uh, whereas wow, for 13 <laughs> pairs a year on average <laughs> yeah on average and th that's an australian stat or do you know i would need to check it right. um i just i have the stats sitting in my mind i think it actually might be a uk stat right uh where the fashion is a bit more disposable i must say in terms of the way the market operates as an average that sounds very high wow mm, or perhaps to a man <laughs> yeah <laughs> More like, i think i'm going on 13 you know in 13 years probably <laughs> and i'm not exaggerating no not at all but um and just to so whereas men will have maybe six pairs of shoes in their cupboard and not afraid to spend you know money on buying the right thing but will purchase much, much less frequently as you've just noted with the example of yourself so men may not be it, shoes of prey might may not be right for men so we may not go down that path um, though we do get asked the question quite a bit and then separately just to touch on fashion i think that fashion is such an interesting word and it kind of conjures up images of you know magazine editors and uh people being looked up and down and you know really making sure that there's an air of perfection about the thing that you're wearing and it's very of the minute however we don't seek to do that at shoes of prey that was pretty much the point actually of putting the power into the customer's hands so that they could spend their money on exactly what it is that they want by creating their own shoe there certainly does need to be a little bit of direction. Um, I think that everybody wants an affirmation that what they've purchased is the right thing. And that's something that we're constantly working on at Shoes of Prey to offer that sort of sense of um, that we're coming on that journey with you and that we'll help you to design something that is very expressive, expressive, expressive of you, but will be noticed for the right reasons. Um, but we certainly don't. Um, we do participate in fashion weeks, but we certainly don't uh, sort of press people down a path of you must wear this or <laughs> you'll be regarded to be unfashionable i think there's a wonderful way that fashion is developing in fact where it, it's dividing out into the major trends that happen and then a whole lot of micro trends so really as long as you've put it together with your sense of style that's when it becomes something that you know doesn't need to be so prescribed we don't all need to turn up in orange shirts tomorrow <laughs> or and anything I, like and that 
And I think Australian fashion, and um, I'm getting into dangerous territory here, commenting on fashion, mm -hmm. but um, I think of Australian fashion at times, I know by some of my European friends, they've said, that they've been a little bit critical in that, though. they've said the Australian fashion, their words, is a bit like a uniform sometimes. Mm. Where, whereas in Europe, it tends to be more, more calibrate, every individual calibrates it, has the confidence in calibrating it a little bit more. Absolutely, and that, that calibration is what I'm really excited about. I've actually heard people uh, say that about Australian fashion before as well. There's a real, when we see a trend, we really adopt it as that trend is, rather than you know, making it our own, and I think this really provides that opportunity. As a man, I find it uh, sometimes I think, wow, is there this big secret email list? Because it almost <laughs> seems like one day everyone in, you know, in Sydney is wearing um, this type of shoe or that. It's, mm. it's, it's sort of like that, that flock of bird that flies together. I find from an anthropological perspective quite interesting. But let's... Um, you're from Lismore originally, right? Yes, you have done your research. Yeah, and um, you, we have a lot of listeners who listen from America. Now, Lismore, they might have heard of Byron Bay when it's in, in that part of the world. I'm mm -hmm. always threatening the staff and opening up a Byron Bay office. You guys have, a, have an even stronger excuse since you're <laughs> from that part of the world. I'm not sure that that's a threat so much as a promise. I mean, Byron Bay is gorgeous and has some of the most beautiful beaches in Australia. The lifestyle has a wonderful pace. Um, so, I mean, to give some perspective on Lismore to uh, your listeners overseas, uh, Lismore is a small country town. When you go to downtown Lismore or to the city centre, it's two blocks. Um, another great example is there was one nightclub, a second one open, and one of them had to shut because there wasn't enough demand. <laughs> so what's, what's it about? 30,000, 40,000? So the last time I was there, it was I, last time I checked, it was 50,000, 50. but it's very spread out. It's a very rural, um, mm. it's a rural hub. So there's lots of farming in the area and that sort of thing. Um, a wonderful place to grow up. Uh, for me personally, I need a little bit more pace. That's um, like saying to someone, you've got a really nice personality. It's sort of <laughs> like a, you, you know. <laughs> oh, no, I love visiting there. I really do. But it's, it's not for me yeah. um, in terms of the long term. But I do love going back and I'm really excited about the work that I see coming out of there. So late last year, I um, spoke at the launch of the uh, digital economy strategy. And I think particularly for those rural areas, uh, the digital economy provides an opportunity beyond geography. It no longer matters that you choose to live in a small country town in Australia because you can reach beyond that with the opportunities that there are in technology now. And I'm really excited to see what that means as we progress forward. And I think mass, cu mass customization is exciting. I can't wait to apply mass customization to 3D printing. Uh, you know, I think that there's just so much opportunity that are not geographically re reliant anymore. I mean, that part of the world, the Northern Rivers, which is uh, what it's called, um, I mean, unemployment is very high, mm -hmm. I believe. True. And it, it would be such a great opportunity for the state government to flesh out some, you know, a great broadband and some incubators. And it's a, it's a part of the world that a lot of people would flock to if, if a bit of an ecosystem develops there. Yeah, that's true. And I, I understand that there's um, some a bit of a focus starting to go in the area. Uh, so there's a, um, an organisation that's connected to the local council, particularly in Lismore, uh, that is looking at fostering uh, that kind of entrepreneurial spirit, and there is a lot of very there are a lot of very creative people in the area, and uh, there are also some wonderful entrepreneurs who do go away and come back for that lifestyle. I mean, living in the mountains behind Byron Bay is something pretty extraordinary. So, um, 
think your staff should see that as a promise, not a threat. They do, <laughs> except we, 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 you know, we, we discuss. Actually, we've we've given up on trying to choose where we'd ideally like to have the office. Mm-hmm. It's bounced around from Bora Bora to Cape Town to New oh. York. So what we've settled on is a boat. <laughs> Right, and we're going to go from port to port, <laughs> and we're just going to work on the boats, and that's we've decided that we'll 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 just do that. So that's that's a compromise. Wonderful, made. yeah, yeah. I don't know if you know that there is actually a tech startup in Byron Bay that was bought by Yahoo Australia for about fifteen million dollars. So oh, which one? Byron does have one successful exit, mm. Total Travel. Okay. Um, and I believe it was started by an ex-Californian that settled in Byron and um, yeah they were acquired by Yahoo and they're still there right yeah. in the in, in downtown you'll notice that next time you go through now it's um, there's a big sort of sign in their offices there so um, so exciting that part of the world has a lot of potential and um, I agree now with you know that um, you don't need there'll always be value in the face-to-face that's never mm. going to go and um, there's a reason why all the the, so many good startups come out of San Francisco and New York, but um, absolutely, and we have we have a great community here in Sydney as well. I think that um, although it's a bit of a funny term, Silicon Beach, <laughs> I think is a real thing that is absolutely getting traction at the moment. And I think we have a great kind of crop of entrepreneurs coming through, and those waves are just getting stronger. And not only that, but seeing some of the um, ways that the government is supporting and even incentivizing that, whether it's through grants or creating the hubs that you can, you know, rent a desk at and very cheaply to be with other entrepreneurs and simply bouncing ideas and being in that environment. I think that, you know, that'll just continue to go from strength to strength and people will see it as a real possibility for a career option, uh, which helps us to break out of that kind of idea of the very otherwise sort of... um, straight and narrow path and I suppose in that I'm really referring to my background as having been a lawyer. I think yeah it's a, it's, it's a significant problem here that the top students um, you know feel that that their path is a lawyer or a banker or a doctor. Um, we need to appeal to the top students that that it's a valid choice of being an entrepreneur and I think there's two things still missing in Australia and that's 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 the big exits and the early stage funding which are sort of tied in with each other Mm. Um, to really take it, you, you, you know, when you have a, a, and you've got sort of that Lassian guys and, you know, a, a few of, you know, big commerce, but it's until it becomes a household name and there's that there, there's that tried and tested model that in Silicon Valley just it has been done so many times that they feel that they can really achieve it. They feel that it's a real option, the smart kids coming out. Mm. They want to start businesses, whereas I, I think we're still a little bit of a way away, but we're definitely heading in the right direction. Mm. No, I couldn't agree more. And I, it's um, you're absolutely right. Atlassian are trailblazers, but I do look forward to a time where that's more of a norm. I think that there are also other regulatory restrictions that are making it a challenge for startups in Australia. So, for example, the taxes that are placed on... Uh, grants of equity between uh, the company and its employees as well because frequently uh, that sort of you know liquid cash is just uh, not available for the kinds of salaries that meet market rates really well or that can uh, compensate the kind of uh, work that you do in a startup because it's it's completely different to going somewhere that where there's a well-oiled machine with lots of good instruction that helps you to understand what your tasks have to be that day there's just so much um, 
need for leadership thought uh, thinking in every single person in the organisation and that deserves reward. But with the way that taxes are structured at the moment, there's um, just such a, a hefty price to pay to give reward that way. So I think there are a lot of things in Australia that will need to be amended before we can have a really exciting startup um, environment. Um, also to uh, not that I mean, there's also challenges around the way that we treat failure as well and the way that uh, that's regulated. So um, I think, yeah, there's, there's a few more things to go in terms of pulling that all together. But it's nice to see that we've broken through to get awareness around that and some successes. So Atlassian are absolutely trailblazers. And I think that they will be what is part of the, part of the really important thing that leads us to understanding what can happen. Yeah, and I think... I mean, the, the tax changes are probably the easier end. I mean, it's just, you know, lobbying politicians and rubber stamping stuff through. The cultural changes are definitely the, the more slippery, amorphous part. You know, the, the cultures, um, the Israeli culture and the American mm -hmm. culture where, where the, 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 and even the South African culture where I'm from originally, I mean, a big part is the comfort with risk. And you don't even realize that you are comfortable. It's so, it's so subtle and embedded that you don't even realize that it's a part of you but mm. that comfort with risk how do we how do we i guess teach is even the wrong word it's more just expose yeah there there is very much still um kind of a, i think it's a, a baby boomer kind of effect that's still sitting in the mind of our country and i mean not to mention that we still you know i mean our economy is doing really well but it's a two-speed economy uh so i'm not sure that you know, there's necessarily the real appetite for risk with those two mindsets still being quite dominant. So you're right, we do have quite a way to go in that paradigm shift for culture. And you know what I find a big difference between big exits in Australia and big exits in the States is, and this is again a double-edged challenge, is the lifestyle is so fantastic in Australia mm. that a lot of the time when, when, when people hit their number, whatever it is, you know, they've got five, ten million bucks in the bank, they go to Byron Bay and they <laughs> and they do yoga the whole day, you know. Whereas I find in the U.S. a lot of them roll into the next venture, right? Um, and it's that th that's a tricky one. And I also feel very strongly about the fact of you know property and investing in property is such an obsession in Australia. But I feel that it's such a such a low value activity compared to the real cutting edge innovation. Sure, mm -hmm. property development can be argued is just like a business, like everything else. You've got to add value and you've got to be innovative in certain ways. But compared to, to, to biotech or, um, you know, medical tech or, or, or even, even social media, it's just it, – it, I get frustrated when wealthy people in Australia just want to sink their money into property the whole time as mm. opposed to startups and, and tech and, and things like that. I just feel that um, – it's just too easy. It's it's um, yeah. It's um, unique challenges we have in Australia as a result of um, many good things. Ironically, mm. and I think too. I mean, we've been quite um, bounded by our isolation as well. So I think that it's very easy for monopolies to have existed here before, and so it's a foreign idea to invest in something that may disrupt your the means that gave you. Uh, your wealth I suppose so I think you know there's that side of things I can't I, I actually can't speak to um, where 
the wealthier part of the nation is investing their money. I'm, I must admit, I'm not across that. However, this um, is purely anecdotal. Yeah. I don't, you know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't have stats, but it's, it's, no, yeah. no, I don't. I don't have a good enough sense of it to speak on that. But um, I think that something that has been observed to me that I tend to agree with is that uh, in the U.S. there seems to be this wonderful sense of can-do, this wonderful optimism, and um, there's a real aspirational yeah and mm. sense of a, a great network that um you know you sort of open up your mouth with an idea and there's a connection or and then there's another one and another to help to take that sort of you know bite size that sound bite and to follow it on into helping to develop that idea that you have and i think that we're at the very beginning of being able to start that here in australia but um i i don't uh, have that same sort of sense here just yet there's a feeling um a lot of the time, I've spent quite a bit of time in the States and, and obviously here is my home base, which I love very much. But there's, there, there's, and maybe it's because in the States the markets are so big, so you don't worry so much about, um, you know, giving away your contacts or what you're going to lose. But there seems to be a territorialism in business in Australia sometimes that surprises me a little bit. Um, in the States, I feel there's a, a little bit more of a generosity sometimes it might just be a perception on my behalf but I'm always quite surprised with the generosity of business especially as an outsider when I'm spending time there as opposed to Australia and it might be because we're a tiny population and it and it is really people I mean Americans really underestimate when they come here and they try to do business they really underestimate how competitive it is it's Mm. really cutthroat absolutely I mean we we're certainly a small market and it is possible to have a an a monopoly here and that is protected. So that, that may, may be feeding into that as well. I want to ask you, I, I'm always hesitant to ask this question because I've, I've got two, <laughs> you probably know it's coming, the, the, whole, the whole female entrepreneur, I always think, well, in one way, we want to reach a point where we don't have to discuss it because mm. that's, that's the ultimate, right? Where mm-hmm. it's, uh, but in another way, um, you know, Sheryl Sandberg wrote a book, Lean In, and it, and it, and it pops up every now and then. So... You know, wh- what's what's your view on women in tech, women in business? Is there an issue? Is society, does it still have some way to go? Is it, um, I'm just interested in, in your take on the, yeah. the state of affairs. Look, it's, it's really interesting. And I, earlier in my career, I had always been connected to um, the female community in whichever industry I was in because... I guess I knew there was a difference um, in terms of what lay ahead for me or, or I believed that there was a difference. And I must say, now that I'm running a business with my two co-founders, um, it, there is absolutely a difference in that journey and it manifests in such extraordinary ways that are so ingrained in the way that we operate and that's the way that I operate as well it's it's certainly not just you know men being bad guys or anything like that in fact I think it's I think men want this to change as well I don't think there's any division about it it's just ingrained into the way that we behave and I think for me that's why um so I'm I'm, I'm going to confess that I haven't read Lean In yet <laughs> do you have any but, interest in um, reading Lean In I feel like I should and but for me the thing that got I, I actually started to really have respect for Sheryl Sandberg when she spoke at TED in December 2009. And the reason I thought she was 
pretty fantastic was because she talked about things that you as a woman in your workplace could change tomorrow. And it was about the way that you perceived and behaved as opposed to expecting there to be, you know, sort of big sort of changes occurring within that organisation. And I think that it does need to be that organic. Um, There are benefits as well. I mean, obviously, when I go into, you know, a tech conference or into an interview, usually the room is full of men. And so I do stand out um, in those situations and it is um, something that can be really helpful. Um, on the other side of things, there are just so many perceptions. I'm I'm an average height, but my co-founders are very tall. So, you know, I do need to meet that gravitas with wearing six inch heels and walking slightly ahead of them <laughs> and things like that. So it goes all the way from physical things to even my voice. I don't have... Um, You've probably heard during this interview, I can drop back into my throat a little bit. And that's a very female thing to do, um, statistically speaking, to voice coaches and things like that. I haven't taken voice coaching, but I think that's something that might be worth doing. And that impacts on your gravitas as well. Uh, Perhaps the way I express myself is more detailed than others. So again, that impacts your gravitas. And all of these traits are traditionally quite female. So I think that they're, you know, kind of all of these things, all of these small things that are very changeable and that I have in my power to change add up to some situations where it is um, different for a woman than a man in business. Um, I think one last part of this for me particularly, um, my just my personality makeup and also the fact that I do, I'm the chief creative officer of our business, which is, you know, such a... <clears throat> a a different thing to the even in terms of the way that it can be measured to be valued within the business is a real challenge and I think that um you know sort of adding all of those things together um are kind of a part of the more sort of traditional look at what it can be to be a woman in business and it's difficult. Do you think though there are any structural issues in Australian society around uh, gender in the workplace gender in entrepreneurship um that's anything overt that that you've noticed that really does need changing whether it's attitude or laws or is it is it something that's 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 much more on the the, the subtle nuanced um level I, I actually think it's way more subtle than that i mean if i was to pick things out it would be that the majority of phrases that are used in business are um frustratingly uh, to do oh, derogatory to women, and I found I found that I found that a bit of a challenge. Oh, but give me, give me an example. A, um, there's that. Oh, <laughs> I'm afraid of being really offensive, but um, and for me, I was I'm very lucky that I'm in a situation with great co-founders where I'm like, you know, guys, if, if I hear that phrase once more, I you know I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna lose it. And they're like, oh, sorry, we didn't even think about that. It's like just something such a like natural oh, you know, they need to have the balls for that or something like that. That I'm a bit less worried about, but I guess that um, there's kind of, I guess in the, uh, particularly in the process of talking about money and partnerships and things like that, there's often talking about getting into bed with each other or opening the kimono for due diligence and things like right. that. So, I haven't even you know, heard those terms. <laughs> and I really strongly apologize and genuinely apologize to anyone that I offended then, but. Um, it's it's not it's not offensive to hear once or twice, but once you hear this enormous collection of them very frequently, it can sort of just be like. But as I said, I'm very lucky that everyone that I deal with, you know, had no realization that 
mm. you know these things were happening so it's a, it's much more subtle than all of those things and i, I think, think that is i also. think that's that's also changing i would think with the younger people have a stronger awareness of genuine equality and the power of words mm, absolutely and i mean it's yeah it's kind of interesting and then i i watch things like um there's often chat about um you know making maternity leave policies better so that women can go away and come back to their careers but it's not the only thing that will help these women you know making sure that there are great there's great infrastructure around childcare is actually the thing that will help these women in their careers so that they can go back and not have that although i'm sure there will still be some guilt <laughs> you know enormous sense of um, you know what's going there's nobody else to look after my child and the expense of it is just absolutely extraordinary so you know i mean that's just one of a great many differences between us that in between men and women that you know does need some attention in this process do you think marissa mayer is helping the cause or or making things worse i don't know if you follow her career much or um i've yeah. heard her talk before uh no i haven't heard her speak before i must i must actually do that but um I think it's helpful. I think I think that I mean the first we're so, we're sort of in quite a long process of recognizing the various issues and it's a tough one to unpack because it is so ingrained as well. So I think that I think she's positive for it. What do you think? I've heard her talk a couple of times at the TechCrunch conference. She is a very impressive person. Mm. Very very impressive. Um, I've offered her a job, but um, she knocked us back. We couldn't quite. Um, I think she said, when you have your buyer in office, come talk to <laughs> us. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Look, I think she's very, very impressive. I think what, what's, um, what's been interesting is, you know, she got a special child care facility built for her kids and she was back at work after, I don't know, 20 minutes after giving birth or something ridiculous. And it's interesting, my female friends commenting about this. What I find interesting is that um, the diversity of opinion, opinions amongst women about mm. these issues. Yeah, no, that's um, fair. And I mean, I must acknowledge as well. I don't, I don't have children. I don't have a partner. Like I'm, I'm not married. So I think that for me, my it's all perception for me. I'm not in the situation. Um, I also don't think there's a right or a wrong with what women. I don't think there's anything that women should be forced to go back to work if they if actually they want to stay home with their child because that's invaluable and so important as well so but I do think that there should be the ability to make that choice and in a way that is has infrastructure around it so that that is a real choice as opposed to well of course you can make that choice but you've got so much else to figure out to actually get that into play and what's the um what's the gender balance in your company just as a matter of interest approximately Gosh, it'd probably be about 60 40 or 70 30 in favor of female in favor of female mm. that's unusual i guess it is a shoe store in effect so sort, <laughs> of, sort of makes sense well yeah i mean it, i guess it does i mean we didn't to be very fair i mean we we didn't sort of set out for it to be that way it's just the way that it's happened and so what's next for yourself and for shoes of prey uh look we have very 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 big dreams for where we hope shoes of prey to be uh we'll look to a series b in 12 to 24 months time uh at the moment uh so we've, we've just celebrated in fact last friday the uh first year of business of our first offline store and it has been a great success for us both financially and in terms of our brand as well where is is that the one in david jones that's right so it's a 
pop-up store, mini store? What's the term? Uh, it's a concession store. So it's right. a permanent store there. Um, it's exceeded all of its revenue targets and it actually won the uh, world's best store design for for its size uh, this year in Paris in November. And that was wow. up against Karl Lagerfeld's concept store in Paris and uh, the Puma new store in Osaka. So it was, it's done very well. And I think that um, it's very interesting to go into that space. Uh, I don't there's this very sexy term in retail at the moment where we talk about omni-channel and mm-hmm. uh, multi-channel retailing. And for us, uh, that didn't really bear onto the decision to do it. It was about solving a problem for our customers. They We have more than 196,000 trillion designs. And I know that sounds like I made it up, but... <laughs> sounds like the American budget deficit. I think that's the only, th- I think that's the only number that, that adds up to that. 196 trillion designs. Thousand trillion, actually. But yes, thousand there are trillion. Mm-hmm, a lot of what's designs. After, what's after a trillion? I'm not sure, but I know it gets Because a thousand too, trillion you know, should be the next whatever it is, right? Well, that's a good point, actually. I, look, I, I must admit, I'm... A numbers girl. <laughs> yeah, the creative officer after all. No, look, yep. I, I numbers to some extent, but um, look, we have a lot of possible shoe designs. So we set up the store because people always asked us, "What will my shoe look like in real life?" Right. And we constantly seek to answer that without the way that we present the um the tech the website, and so we're constantly working on that with our tech team. But um, to open up a place where they can come and try a shoe on, touch leathers, speak to somebody and have that design process all in one place uh, has proven to be very successful. So, um, and the wonderful thing as well is going and sitting in the store and watching my sales assistants do what comes so naturally that we are always, as online retailers, trying to create online for a seamless experience. So it's been a real education for us as well. So it's... um yeah, it's interesting the online going, going sort of flipping the other way. Mm. Um, it's we wouldn't. I mean, we we've seen Bonobos do it as well, Piper Lime as well. So I mean, it's 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 something that's happening out there. So what's your biggest international markets besides Australia? Uh, the US, the UK, and there's uh, a couple in Europe as well. Great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think um, people underestimate well. I think a lot of the American VCs that come to Australia, they what they're really impressed with is that the startups in Australia, we really, we're really doing real stuff. You know, we don't have the the, in, the we can't indulge in um, long shots. So it's um, you know it's it's great to hear that you guys seem to be getting very real runs on the board. Thank you very much. Jody Fox, uh, the co-founder of Shoes of Prey, really appreciate your time. Um, maybe we should talk about those Byron Bay offices <laughs> soon. Hmm. And um, we'll definitely follow your progress with interest. And thanks for joining us on the It's a Monkey podcast. Not at all. Thank you so much for having me. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by CheckDog. Use CheckDog to easily review and monitor your website for spelling errors, broken links, and broken images, all with the push of one button. CheckDog can also automatically monitor your website and notify you of newly introduced spelling errors. Go to checkdog.com forward slash podcast to receive 50% off your first month subscription. Checkdog.com, helping the world's leading websites keep their content error free. Um, clearly, a very smart, capable entrepreneur absolutely she's um very relatable as well yeah very you know entrepreneurs are interesting sorts um 
very in their own head sometimes. So yeah, when you meet one that um, can hold the space, as we say in in certain hippie circles, mm. for others as well, it's, mm. it's 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 nice. So yeah, I, r- I really enjoyed that interview. No, oh, that's great. Um, you know, she's a she's probably one of the first or one of the first couple of females I've met in Sydney who. Uh, have owned their own business um, and started from scratch and um, is a really hard worker and really passionate about what they do. Have you used Shoes of Prey? I have, yes. And what's the experience like? It's great. In fact, the um, whole system is almost seamless. Um, I've often found with these drag and drop editors, especially with paper doll-like applications, it times out or something looks a little bit funny or you can't select the right colour or the right fabric. Uh, However, they're just engineered uh, the website very well um, and I, I actually heard about it through um, my manager Joe, who uh, works at the manager for the HQ as well and uh, she got her wedding shoes made through Shoes of Prey and she used Shoes of Prey primarily because she couldn't find anything that would suit her wedding dress because her wedding dress was lace um, so that really really filled the gap for her and uh, it's interesting I, I personally have really big feet. <laughs> so <laughs> It's a bit of a confessional for your first podcast. So I find it quite difficult to find heels that are comfortable. Um, I like to, st- I'm very loyal to my brand. Um, so I guess it's a little bit of a leap of faith when you first go onto these websites and you can only hope that, oh gosh, I hope, you know, when it arrives at my front door, it fits correctly or it looks like it did look on the website. Um, I think there's a little bit of hesitation to make the the full purchase. I've never bought shoes on the web, but I'm I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it because I, I absolutely hate shopping. I love having new things. I love having nice clothes. So mm. it's um, so I'll, I'll choose a prey. Do they have men's? No, they've decided not to go down the men avenue. <laughs> but you know, I'm sure some pink them. little kitten heels will look fab on you. Oh, look, yeah, <laughs> look. Uh, you know, I'm an open-minded guy, and I don't judge. But um, I'm happy with my, um, you know, my uh, my shoes, my standard um, gender-specific male shoes. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Um, heels, yeah, um, aren't really quite my thing. But um, what are the males? Are there any um, what stores would you recommend in Australia for men to buy shoes on? You know, I would actually recommend international stores primarily because of price, um, and you can get the big brands. I mean, in Australia, you'd probably be thinking. In fact, you know, most retail stores have an online presence, so I don't think you'd be you'd find, find it too difficult to find an online store. It's just really, it's very dependent on your preference of shoe um, and what type of brands that you like. Um, even David Jones, uh, Jody does have a store in David Jones and they've got a great online shopping website. Their online's improved a lot. Yeah. I ordered something a few months ago um, online and it actually was, it's taken them many, many years and a total lost opportunity of many years. But they finally, for, for, if you're listening and you're out of Australia, David Jones is... is Kinda like it, Macy's. Yeah, it's one of the big department stores here in, mm. um, in Australia. There's actually been talk of David Jones and Myers merging. Really? If you've read that. No, so. I haven't. Because they've both been struggling, you know, impact of, of online. And um, 
You know, yeah, I, I swear that's going to happen with all these big, these large companies. Coles and Woolworths <laughs> merging, yeah, banks look, merging. And it, it tends to happen over time, you know, often it makes sense. Economies of scale, especially when it comes to retail, there's a big deal. Distribution's yeah. expensive and things like that. But yeah, I, I love my cons, my converses. Um, when I'm in New York, I was going to the big converse store there and I had a pair that lasted for years and it literally disintegrated and they don't they don't have that that um model anymore do they allow you to customize your own shoes like jody's uh business they well they do inside the store you can put logos on colors Mm. etc but they they're very specific they tell you if you give us the logo we're going to own the logo so it's really weird there's a copyright weirdness that's going on there that's interesting because they yeah i think they're worried about if 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 they um somehow someone comes with some design and then one of their designers has already half come up with that design and mm. so they cover themselves so um, yeah that was a bit strange that they were very um they emphasized that to me um but we should think of getting like some managed flitter cons yeah no in fact that could go with our whole managed flitter tracksuit which i pitched a few months ago or onesies yeah i don't know i think the onesie thing's been done we did that oh it's I, you're a lot more fashionable and onto it than you think you are, Kim. <laughs> Look, you know. Uh, that was so last season. Yeah, that was onesies. <laughs> you know, haven't we heard? It's twosies now. Yeah, right. Um, so, you know, Jody spoke a bit about also the, um, you know, being a, a female and being an entrepreneur. And uh, I, as I said in the interview with her, I'm always hesitant to asking the question because it's sort of, you want to reach, just by asking that question, it's sort of part of the, problem in a right. way right. you know you wouldn't ask someone with long dark hair so how is it to be an entrepreneur with long dark hair it's mm. a non-issue mm. you know so i always have mixed feelings but i think it's a worthwhile question to ask and you're a little bit younger than jody and um, you're not really a tech entrepreneur but you're sort of in the in the in the industry i mean what's your take on the whole female in the tech startup it's interesting world? actually a lot of um a lot of meetings that I've been to where I've had to pitch something or sell something, I have often been quite nervous, but that's not, that's even before meeting um, the, the men in the room. I mean, it's all psychological in my own head. It's something that I'm internally thinking, oh gosh, I hope they don't, you know, prejudge me for just being this, this, this girl, the sales girl that walks into the room and has absolutely no idea what she's, you know, she's selling or this prejudgment. So I can I can definitely relate to um, being a female and being in a tech world because it is quite a masculine world. Um, mm. But I don't think it's necessarily projected onto us by men. I think it's also very internal. Yeah, I think you know I think industries have their you know have their gender skews for lack of a better word. Mm. Um, and I mean, and I think we all have personal. Um, insecurities absolutely you know I, I mean one of my mentors I might have recounted this story before um, maybe even on the podcast where um, I like to have a couple of mentors and I've got a terrific mentor who's a, a more seasoned older older guy and we were talking about some of these issues and he's and he says you know, you, you know when he goes into a meeting and if there's a bunch of young smart switched on guys he knows that if he starts thinking oh you know i'm the, i'm just this old bloke what do i know he said his words were i feel the power drain out of my fingers mm, mm. you know so once once you once you believe something like that it becomes self-fulfilling and that's the tricky thing i think we all believe 
um, on the big issues of equality and opportunity. And, you know, and thankfully in Australia, we have a lot of those big issues sorted out. But when it comes to just, you know, all the finely calibrated challenges, we just have to have to have self-belief and we all got to overcome something. I was a migrant that came here with no money and no contacts. And I sometimes would sit and yeah, it would start to think, oh, they're all Australians and they know each other. And, I, you know, if I, it would become self-fulfilling. So um, it's interesting. It, it's, it's, it is interesting, but I'm, I'm happy, you know, and women have an inherent advantage in fashion, mainly because a lot of the time they're interested in that and they understand the market mm. a little bit better. And it, as you said, it's a terrific marriage, fashion with technology. I mean, do your friends, I mean, I mean, are they, do they only buy online? Are there apps where they, I don't know, get recommended looks based on their photos? I mean, I don't know what goes on in, in this world. <laughs> Like I often uh, find, um, and from my own time. personal experience, I find online shopping brilliant. I mean, f- especially for people that are a little bit time deprived, um, it's it's fantastic. The only downfall of online shopping is you don't get a the experience, and b you don't get to actually. It's not tangible, so you you can't really review the product. You can't see the quality of the product. But are there any apps, like I understand the whole e-commerce side of things, but are there any apps like sort of secret women's business apps? There is. Um, there was like where you upload your photo and, and you like sort of it says, okay, you would look good and like, you know. There isn't, but I'm sure there's probably something down the line. Um, Flink was recently released, I think last uh, month, which is almost like a fusion between Instagram and an online store. So it's very similar to an Instagram layout, but you simply just flick between photos of women wearing um, shoes, clothes and accessories and the shoes, the clothes and the accessories are highlighted and have links to where you can buy them. Right. So as opposed to Instagram, which has uh, a tag, which essentially just links to another account, it's almost like they're just taking one additional step out and you go directly to the uh, source and you can you can buy it. And what about an app? And I'm sure there have been these apps, but I don't know if any of have reached critical mass. And I thought maybe Jelly would sort of morph into this of uploading a photo of yourself and people giving constructive criticism. I could also see mm. a potential just to become a total nightmare with people just tearing into you, you know. And trolls. Yeah, yeah. and all of that. But um, I mean, as as a guy, and I think I've said that before on this podcast as well, like it, it's, man, I'd find that so useful. Mm, absolutely. I'd also like to see something out there where you have often those experiences where a stranger will come up to you in a street and say, wow, I love your shirt. Where did you get uh, that Look, from? I don't have those experiences, man. <laughs> I'm sure once <laughs> or twice where you have the Facebook developer t-shirt or real men love yoga t-shirt. And those are those are sort of items I can imagine that I've got are one, unique. I've got one shirt that I bought at a festival. That's like, I think it's, um, I bought a festival in Australia and it's a shirt from Thailand and it's like bright yellow and it's got like a sort of this cool black tribal on it. I don't think I, I wear it to work. And um, when I'm in I've New seen York, it actually. have you? Yeah, I've seen it on, um, this is an exact example. I've seen it from Daryl's Facebook account. Yeah, my, my brother's Facebook account. Mm. And um, when I'm in New York, people walk up to me and they say, awesome shirt. Uh, that's the one piece of clothing I wear where I definitely get. get It'd be interesting on. to see, especially with Google Glass, um, if Google Glass can recognize shapes and forms and then link to an external website. Be, it's sort of like Shazam for clothes. Absolutely. Are Let's we onto something it. here? <laughs> Shazam for you. I hope no one's listening. Because <laughs> Edit so, this part out. <laughs> Shazam for clothes. Genius. Yeah. I love it. Google Glass, you look at it, you push a button, and it's like, where, 
let's do it and that's and i mean look there's a what a great application for google glass you mm. see that and you just and and um retailers would love that I it's know, distribution right? absolutely know? that's terrific that's um yeah let's release let's release that so <laughs> google glass um i don't know they were coming out um with a new phase of glasses that you could apply for that's i don't know where that's on yeah, I'm not sure where um, they're going. The last time, last article I read with Google Glass was a man was watching a film and a film... Was I listening this, to this on the podcast recently? I'm not sure if I read this on an, on uh, Google, but... this Maybe one. you dreamt it. <laughs> well, this, essentially what happened is this man was watching a movie and a security guard uh, approached him and said, excuse me, uh, can we have a chat outside? And the security guard thought that the man wearing the Google Glasses was recording it. And it wasn't actually the case at the end of the day, but he ended up taking him to court. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, especially with movies, if people had the ability to record, you know, through uh, Google privacy, Glass. Privacy issues, law. I mean, the world is just, yeah, it's there is no privacy. You've got to be super careful. And, you know, in the old days when I worked in radio, um, there was, and this was in the days before the internet sort of ubiquity, um, there was a, a warning that was given to all the the newbies was if there's a microphone in the room, always be careful what you say because one day it's going to be on. And right. even by accident or someone's left it on. And there were a few times where, you, you know, you have two studios and sometimes, and they link together and sometimes by accident an engineer leaves a studio on and presenters go to plan their show in the one and they start swearing and panic station, someone runs in because <laughs> the mic's on. Right. But um, these days, I mean, the mics and cameras... Everywhere, everywhere right you know and um i love going to certain retreats or you know that where they say that you know no cameras and phones it's a sacred space hippie blah 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 and it's sort of nice because it's you know you leave your you leave your phone in the bucket yeah exactly and you can you don't have to worry about just landing up on the um the web somewhere but um yeah google glass though that that's a perfect application mm. that um shazam for clothes mm. where it actually adds value you know i think i think that could be huge the technology behind that would have to be very smart i mean how would it would actually crawl the web and actually find that matching item i mean i think it's possible never, totally yeah. look never say never i mean i remember when uh, 10 15 years ago we were talking about Skype and having the ability to talk to someone actually see their face on the phone and I thought oh that will never happen and then you know look what we've got yeah it's uh, it's definitely a moves a lot fast that's why we very fast that's why we we love what we do anyway you've been listening to episode 34 of the it's a monkey podcast please follow us on twitter at monkey podcast please tweet us please email us at monkey podcast if you send us an email with a little voice comment we will give you a shout out and we'll play a little voice comment give us some ideas on where you think twitter's going how you think snapchat's going to monetize what do you think about women in tech we want to start engaging more with you the listener um, we know that thousands of you listen to this podcast but we haven't done a particularly good job at of dragging you in and and engaging with you we want to hear from you so yes you who's just hearing me send something through and we'll even give your company a shout out um, we like helping other startups and if you made it to the end of this podcast well done it's been a, been a you bit have of a won twenty five thousand dollars <laughs> yeah um and it's being funded out of chelsea's <laughs> um, yeah anyway it's we've enjoyed it um chelsea maybe we'll have you back in one of the the future podcasts great we'd love to
Um, so thanks for listening to us. Uh, thanks for listening to us, and it's uh, goodbye from Kevin and Chelsea. See ya.